Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here at Millstone Pizza in downtown Rock Hill, and uh, I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Churz Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town <laughs> USA. Yeah, okay. We have a guest today, Anil. Anil, uh, how about introducing yourself? Hello, I'm Anil Dokai. I'm a Rock Hill local uh, freelance TV movie dude. Freelance TV movie dude. Is that on your LinkedIn? Is that the way you put it on your LinkedIn? <laughs> pretty much. In fact, I, I pretty much just came up with that. I think I, I should change it. <laughs> Great idea. All right, stop the recorder. Let's get to computers fast. It's like a it's like a Burger King Kids Club character or something. <laughs> Freelance TV movie dude. Oh, I have, I have two of him. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, your day job is doing the using the skills of your night job. I mean, so like you're working on a hunting show currently. So tell us about that a little bit. Yep, I currently do a hunting show. Um, I've been on that for almost half a year now. Um, it, what do you do there? Uh, I do editing. Um, I put the, they go out and film the hunts and bring the footage back to me and pretty much it's my job just to build a story of based around the footage that they shot. And okay. it, it airs on? Uh, it airs on NBC it airs on uh, NBC Sports. Used to be on Outdoor Channel, but this is the first season that's going to be on NBC. Nice. So I'm sure you uh, hone your skills by doing that, editing skills. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's definitely a challenging job because uh, a lot of the times you get back stuff and it's not the most ideal shooting conditions or most ideal situation. So. Shooting like a gun right. or like yeah, a, a shooting stuff. <laughs> what exactly are the ideal shooting conditions? Man, I guess technically both, because sometimes they can't. They can't. They're not they can't always shoot in it. the animals. Yeah. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> they're not You're in a good place. Secrets. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's? I realize this is a little <laughs> off topic, but what's like the craziest thing they ever killed on there? Craziest thing they've ever killed. Not to sound insensitive or whatever, but maybe. Man, there's a lot of deer, there's hogs, probably maybe an alligator. <laughs> so you get the footage back, it might not be the best footage. You've got to make the best thing out of it that you can. Maybe the alligator chewed on the camera. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, I get it back and a lot of the times it's good, but then a lot of the times you got to get creative and build a story out of... Because they're thrown into situations to where they don't really have options to over what they're filming because it's in a live it's a, a live event so they're out there having to capture this thing and yeah it's not like doing a, a narrative feature where you can control everything it's it's all out of control so when you leverage those same skill sets for your own passion you're making movies is that is that right yep that's right that's uh, outside of doing freelance stuff uh, making movies is my main thing, it's my second career that I hope eventually will overtake the first career and be full-time. Now, you, you also work, I mean, you work a lot on, like, big studio pictures when they come through, like in Georgia and North Carolina and stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I used to uh, primarily work in the locations department, which is pretty much, as a location assistant, that's what I did on films like Hall Pass and The Crazies, and... Did you work on, what was the... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, we can cut that. The, the kid that was in one of his movies was in the Google movie with 
sorry. With so Kevin you actually worked on Yeah, the Google <laughs> movie with Kevin Bacon. Nice. <laughs> the internship or whatever. So sorry. You didn't actually work on the internship. Nope. Okay, I didn't. Uh-uh. Oh, well. Um, but yeah, feature-length movies or bigger movies locations was what I did for a while. And you're pretty much the babysitter of whatever location they decide to film at. It's, for example, on Hall Pass, we... Well, I probably shouldn't say how much we paid, but we paid a lot of money to shoot in a big house for three days where like 200 crew people would show up and you got old grip electrics walking around with C stands, banging, scratching up walls and the old using the electrics, <laughs> like taking a dump in their bathrooms and like, in fact, hey, I guess it's like, yeah, cause you got to look out for the location and you got to look out for the crew. So like, I got to make sure nothing bad's happening to the location but i also got to make sure that the crew's happy at the location and you you live in rock hill yep i live in rock hill so you're doing this um from rock hill i mean you're going you might be going to charlotte or going to georgia but you're running your base operations at rock hill yep live down here and i've gone to georgia twice for work now and yeah a lot of stuff up in charlotte and so uh when you make movies that you make are you the uh usually the kind of director or producer like how does that work yeah it's usually i usually work as a writer director on my own personal projects then i'll help other people as producers or as a producer or just be a cinematographer or someone's wearing a lot of different hats so how do you find the talent to put together the team to do a movie um that's a long process we spent like for example our last feature strange and unusual we have our core team of creative minds, which is Strauss, Pitchers, me, Micah, Chris, and Brian, and kind of like the ideas and the core creative part happens in that central team. And then outside, we get freelancers, local freelancers who are eager to work on like indie projects and stuff. But how do you how do you find those people? Uh, usually just either by Craigslist would or like just going through like the local film community or like already having worked on other films and just knowing people that worked on other movies and networking and so do you feel like that there is more of a culture of that around here now than there used to be maybe five years ago yeah definitely it's it's been continually growing over yeah over the past several years do you think that could potentially be a place where I mean, I know it's good that, that uh, Rock Hill and Charlotte and all these places are networked with each other because you don't want to isolate. I mean, if somebody, wherever they are, if they're willing to work and come, yeah, that's great. But do you feel like uh, this little area here in Rock Hill could potentially be a place where uh, there could be more of that kind of talent? Yeah, definitely. I think Rock Hill itself, there's a lot of local people that have stories to tell, and there's a lot of talented local crew here that can do good stuff. Great. So, so not only do you um, do editing work and use your skill sets in the professional field, and then you do projects that are driven by your own passion and creativity, but you're looking at the potential of having a place to show some of this kind of work. Is that to enter? I mean, and, and that would be driven by. I mean, in the same way that you want to create things because you're passionate about it, I imagine that you love movies yourself. I mean, and you probably want to help people see movies that are more than just the movies that we see at the big box theater. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I obviously saw something that could potentially replace my 
day job career of doing creative work and editing and stuff, the, the one thing that I think I would be happy replacing that would be uh, opening up a local independent theater, a place to show movies, and that way I'm constantly around them, which I, I would watch movies all day, and um, I feel like I'd be contributing in a way, um, being able to help spread the local arts and show movies that most people around here in the area wouldn't be able to watch without this type of venue. Yeah. Just, go ahead. Sorry, I just, you know, I, honestly, I never really thought about it until the way that you just put it. Because to consider, you know, as I'm also a filmmaker, that's the reason you're here, we're friends. Um, and the thought of replacing that urge to create with, to curate and take care Curate's of and, a great word. Yeah, and nurture stuff that's created by other people is almost as satisfying. That's a really good point. And you know, there's not only that, but um, <clears throat> connecting it back to what we were talking about, about growing the culture of uh, people that work together. So the idea of um, the kind of bring your own jobs economy and you know, stuff we talk about all the time, you know, with the creating the village culture and stuff. You know, if there were more, please, yeah, if there were more folks in other words, if there was a kind of art house, uh, art movie house, well, how do you say it, art house? What? Yeah, I mean, art, yeah, like an art house cinema. And yeah, if there were one of the, a place you like get, that. You know, a, beer, a beer and movie place, I guess is what I call them. <laughs> a picture screen show. <laughs> um, if, if there were, um, if there's something like that, that's even more reason, uh, or even more of a kind of, a, I don't know, an insider to build the cultural fabric around having the talent available to do projects because the, that talent wants to be in a place where there is an art house cinema. You know right, I mean? yeah. Yes. Now I personally, and this is sidestepping a little bit, so I don't want to like, I want to get back to this, but I think as a side note, the idea of these kinds of like the Alamo Draft House, we've talked about several times on the show, and the idea of these like sort of theaters that aren't just about going to see, you know, Captain America, which I love Captain America and all, but like Hollywood's in a weird place, you know, like Jeffrey Katzenberg just said, like movies aren't a growth industry. TV is the new growth industry. So I'm sure Katzenberg is just going to get into TV from now on. And everyone's struggling to figure out how to make movies as profitable as they used to be. And that's why like 3D, I don't know a single person that likes 3D. And everyone seems to be, and 3D is a, a way to soften the blow of the fact that people aren't going to the movies like they used to. And it's a way to, and they are, I mean, they're still making tons of money because they're padding it with all these little methods like that. And I think places like Alamo Draft House <clears throat> and the Cinnabar in Charlotte, where you're, you're taking, you're, instead of just being like, well, we give them 3D, put glasses on them, charge them five more bucks. Instead, you're going back to the core of what, Matt, why are people there? Well, yeah. they're there for community. They're there for, for the community experience of, yeah. there's, you know, TVs are awesome. I love TVs and I understand the complaint that when you go to the movies, there's a bunch of idiots there yelling and blah, 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 and it's expensive. But, I, I mean, this is just for me. This is just for, for my little personal perspective. There is nothing on this planet like sharing the experience of cinema with other people. And, a lot, and the more people, the better that experience is. And that's why I think that places that, like those beer and movie places I'm talking about, I think that's a key to the future of cinema. Because yeah. it, well, it, it doesn't use technology, it uses community. Yes, that's a great point. I mean, look at, thank you, look at restaurants. You know. Captain America is like Chili's. You know, we, we go to Chili's, we love Chili's. Chili's is consistent, the food's great, whatever. You know, we, we go there like once every couple weeks. But we come over here to Millstone to do our podcast because it's of this community, it's the cultural fabric of this community. 
it's about community. And that's something, yeah, something Chili's can't really have, they'll try, but right. yeah, they but can't it's, really But have. it's the same everywhere. So Captain yeah. America's big box movie, and it's a great, you know, and that's fine. I mean, I love the Marvel movies and everything, they're fantastic. But the idea of going somewhere and seeing a movie that Micah made, and seeing yeah. a movie that Anil wrote, right. you know, that is about community. It's like, man, I, bring, I know I bring everything back to this, but you probably know where I'm taking this. It's like the punk scene. Yeah, no, you know, absolutely, because, yeah. Because, you know, growing up, going to shows, I mean, it wasn't about if every band is awesome. It was about that every band was somehow participating in this community, and it was their turn to do yeah. their thing, you know? Exactly, yeah. That's a lot closer to the kind of theater, that, which I guess you haven't... We jumped on that, but that's the kind of theater you wanted to open, right? Like a cool. Yeah, one. yeah, absolutely. Just an opportunity for people to see local films and even national films that haven't been shown at bigger places. Even right. global. Yeah. You know, it's amazing the whole globalization. What fascinates me about globalization is used to, or I say we, I guess I should say I, I used to think globalization was, oh, well, that's for the, like, GE. Like, that's for the biggest of big, gigantic Walmart, you know? But it turns out that thanks to the internet and other reasons, globalization is not about that at all. Actually, hyper-localization and globalization are the same thing. We could have a film from a filmmaker in Guatemala shown in your theater, and that would be nothing. He would email it over, y'all email back and forth, right. you know, whatever. It would be shown, and it's completely uh, potentially global because you can wrap around a, a singular idea that's small. You could only communicate with 100 people, and they could be in 50 different countries, and you don't have to have access to billions of people right, to yeah. be global, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like we the very first thing I ever did, got there was some local network. Was be born. And, yeah, it was Be Born <laughs> and Look Super Cool. Um, you, you did look cool when you were born. I, I, was, I was a pretty cool dude. Yeah, you were. I awesome. was a pretty cool dude. I was a muscle man. Um, but, uh, I was also a muscle man baby that you see in the pictures, you know, with the, with the you cigarette. You had a mustache, a curled mustache. Yeah, I had a curled mustache with the cigarette, the like James Dean baby. That was me. Um, Coming out with a cigarette must have been horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it wasn't a problem for me. I didn't ask around, but you know. I, was, um, I didn't make sure everyone else was comfortable. It was my birth. <laughs> um, but in the first short film I ever made, got some, I put it on YouTube and I got an email from some uh, local TV network in Arizona that they were going to show it on their like late night public access That's thing, awesome. you know. And I mean, I, it was awesome, but like I didn't. In terms of what you were saying, like I mean, there was zero effort. Like I put it on YouTube to you're show. Like, no, I'm a national filmmaker. Yeah, exactly. I put it on YouTube just to show to my friends and stuff. And I got an email from some TV network. I mean, it was some local thing or whatever, but. And I'm not saying this was a huge thing, but it was it was cool, and it was like it just happened. There was zero like in the '90s that would have been impossible, you know. Oh, I, know. I mean, this morning I sent off a proposal to a, a doctor's office in uh, Texas, in Houston. We're a 10-person company. I mean, uh, used to that you can't, yeah, you can't do. Yeah, why like, would so you, are we a national company yeah, now? Yeah, why would I mean, you have a client in Texas? Yeah, right. It but wouldn't it makes have made total sense. sense now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not a problem. So, so let's say, Neil, you open this place. Um, is this, uh, what are you thinking as far as space? What type of space would you need to open something like this? Um, I think it can be relatively small. Like, I, I want it to be like, I'd want it to be like kind of homey and just a different, like, way outside of the mainstream theater experience. Just like a one screen, 
uh, one room type of deal um, that could maybe hold up to 100 people and just uh, offer beer and food and wine and Right. Talk about community. That was, thank you. That the the genesis of movie theaters was like what you're talking about. You had one screen. When you, if you were going to the movies, you went to see the movie right. that was you playing. Right. See the movie. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't. It wasn't about you Did know. Did we have a war propaganda play before these movies? Right. <laughs> we could do this. <laughs> that would actually be awesome. Yeah. But like you know, yeah, it wasn't about. And like it's, it's really wonderful that I can. Well, I want to go see. The Hunger Games in 3D with the blah 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 with the IMAX da da da. Well, it's like the 3D starts at four and four thirty right, and right, four eighty four, right. right, uh, right. but in between that is the 2D version. Which exactly. starts at yeah, exactly. Which I don't get me wrong, I love. You know what? I love Chili's. If you ask me where Chris, where do you want to go to eat right now? I'm gonna go to Chili's. If I was a millionaire, I'd probably eat at Chili's every day. But uh, <laughs> oh, oh, to be a millionaire. Oh, to be a millionaire and eat at Chili's every day. But you know, and I love. I love the Hunger Games in 3D, even though I just said I hate 3D, and I do. Um, I love every as like iteration of the movie theater experience you can have. However, I do think it's a shame that that thing that made movies work is is so hard to find now. Right. And that the thing that he's talking about, where well, it's like the rebirth of you know, there's a rebirth of it. All, it happens, man. When things get big, then you have something that comes up underneath that that is more authentic. You take something that's authentic, and then you, you replicate it, replicate it, you make more money off of it, you grow it, whatever, and it becomes less authentic. Like country rap? Like country rap, for example. <laughs> and then up under that comes something authentic again. You know, and um, I think that uh, Art House Cinemas is one of the poster childs, poster children. Poster childs. Poster child. The poster children's. <laughs> the poster children. It's a poster children. Of um, of the corn, <laughs> um, of the kind of new authenticity of the village, that I think the village is a is a is is the new fabric of, of our of our country even. You know? True, I agree. However, I will say, nothing authentic will ever come from country rap. It is a scourge, <laughs> is a plague on the earth. <laughs> I would disagree. I would say that you're going to be surprised at some point between now and when you're 112 that right. some country rap related thing, you're going to be like, that's the most authentic thing I've ever heard. I have a theory that anybody who wants to create something like a theater or things like that, not a movie, but something that would happen in um, a physical you know, a place, that one of the most compelling things, if not one of the top two, is the space itself. So I got a question for you. I imagine that you've imagined um, the types of movies you would play and then how you would organize, run, and facilitate and design the space in which you would be. So talk to me about like where your imagination goes when you think about your theater. Um, I would say space-wise, uh, I, almost like a really small version of a fork and screen type theater where you have it, it, like a, a table and two chairs, um, really comfortable chairs, not like your conventional just theater chairs. Um, so you said, I'm sorry, you said fork and screen, which is probably a little more traditional of a term than I said beer and movies. <laughs> fork and screen makes a little more sense, I think. That's, yeah, I guess, well, yeah. I, I went to a fork and screen somewhere. It was called like AMC fork and screen. I think that's where I... Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The AMC has gotten into the... I've never heard that term. What does that mean? You eat while yeah, you... Yeah, uh, like yeah. eat and, and watch a movie yeah, and drink. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that... Fork? Yes, it's a liquid fork. <laughs> it's a chocolate fork. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, that would be the basic layout of the theater. And then uh, as far as like what we would show, I, I think it would range from independent local stuff to like you said, global stuff and uh, even some throwback uh, classic Hollywood movies. Which, once again, I mean, that's all one of the common threads in a lot of those cool kind of hip theaters that serve alcohol and food and show movies is they're always showing like older movies that are, it's you get you see what title they're showing and you're like, oh my God. And you, can, you know everyone that goes to that screening is gonna feel the same way you do. And it's like in a different way than that you know everyone likes you know, the Avengers 2. Yeah, everyone likes the Avengers 2. But it's like when you know, you go to a, a screening of Pootie Tang, and you know that everyone there is a fan of Pootie Tang, which sounds like a joke, but I saw, I looked at one of those theaters this week that was showing Pootie Tang. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. But people would come there with a similar sensibility around why they're Exactly, yeah. That, that sense of community, and that's what I think that, like, like when people start doing retro showings, they, they a lot of times they gravitate to exactly the movies that mean the most to me specifically, like Goonies and Back to the Future and right. Jaws. Those are really heavy hitters for those like retro screenings, quote unquote. And like, like I said, it's a great, it's that sense of community. Every time I've been to one of those, I, I went to see Ferris Bueller and I was alone and there was a guy behind me that I could just tell, like I, I saw him when I, I he came in a raincoat. He was in right, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could tell he was of an age that he was like probably a teenager when Ferris Bueller came out, and 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 so I just like I started talking to him about Ferris Bueller and how much yeah. I love John Hughes movies, and I like I made a friend with the guy sitting behind me, and you know it's not like I got up and sat with him or whatever, right, right. but we like shared the experience of watching that movie right, together. Yeah. The community aspect, yeah, which I don't know if I would be able to do going to see The Avengers two, right. Or the Avengers one, sorry. I feel like I need to be top, like, on point and be like, not be talking about old, stale stuff like the Avengers one. <laughs> Is there an Avengers two? Yes, next summer. Ne no, 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 next summer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. In the biz, it pretty much is already out. Okay. I'm not in the biz. So. I usually, like, find out when it hits Redbox. That's when I, I know that it exists. So, have you looked at spaces around town for this? Yes, I've uh, looked at several spaces around town. Um, I guess uh, starting back, uh, I, I looked at the Pix, which used to be an actual theater. But um, in this place, you interrupt. I'm sorry. The, the Pix is an, it was an old theater when I was a child, uh, and it's located in between Winthrop University and downtown on a, the most beautiful street in town. That was a one screen thing, right? I think it was two screen. Uh, okay. uh, isn't it two screen? I think it was one. One. I'm sorry. Okay, so it's one screen. Uh, old theater, uh, like my parents used to go there. Yeah, very representative of the early age of theaters. Yeah, exactly. And it's again, it's on a, the most beautiful street in town between the university and the downtown. It just seems like a great place. So, so how did that go? Um, that was definitely first choice for for the original idea. And uh, when we looked into it, it, it needed um, pretty heavy renovations. And uh, one of the big issues we ran into is it being in close proximity with the church that we weren't able to, if we'd run into some complications with trying to sell alcohol there. Wait a minute, is that the 250 feet rule? I believe so. Are you talking about uh, whiskey? I, I think it was something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, because you can, apparently you can serve um, beer and wine. I don't know if you can at the pick specifically, but uh, liquor, you, you have to be uh, more than 250 feet. The, the entrance to your establishment has to be more than 250 feet away from the entrance to a church. And man, that's on Church Row right there, dude. Yeah, yeah there's area, like three yeah. church, there's churches all around that building. Yeah, exactly. What, what if, didn't it get turned into a church for a little while? Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. usually a church. What if you're selling whippets? 
That's completely. You can sell heroin and you can sell whippets, and you can have prostitution, but you cannot sell hard liquor. Man, maybe we should change from their serving there. To serve. <laughs> yeah, that was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> listen to us. We got all the answers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen. Don't quote me on this. I'm not an expert. But I'm not a cartographer. <laughs> a famous quote from Old Town New World. <laughs> and uh, I guess, uh, so that came up, that, that was a slight issue with the pics, and then uh, eventually a church, a church moved in there and just more time passed, and we started looking at uh, other options. Um, another option was, forget the name of the building, it's a big blue building right across the street from the Herald. Um, I think at one point it was a car yeah, dealership. Yeah, it was like a okay. Ford or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And uh, just for some explanation here, that's right right outside of the um, what you would feel as being the kind of um, downtown proper in the sense of, you know, when you walk and buildings are connected to buildings, connected to buildings, that kind of Main Street feeling. Uh, it's, it's Dave Lyle is a, a four-lane road that we need to turn into a slow-down-everybody park-on-road, but... It's a little bit fast, and so it's just on the other side of that. So there'd be a like a stone, like literally, like you could throw a rock, see it from there, and throw something at it. But you'd have to cross that road, and so it would create a little bit of a kind of walking to problem from downtown. So if you're like over here drinking and stuff, and you're about to head to the theater, it's a little problematic. It's it's like right on the outskirts of the downtown proper. So, but anyway, go ahead. And uh, with that building, that one's still a contender. Again, money and heavy, heavy renovations. Um, one slight issue with that building was the capacity that it could hold exceeds the amount of room for parking. Even though we'd only cater to a certain amount of people, um, but the like, I, I think we said that we wanted like to have a theater that be up to 100 people, but the building can meet more than 100 people. So there's some kind of weird thing that because it's a building that can hold more than 100 people and there's not enough parking spaces there. That uh, that was just a small thing that we never, it never stopped us, but I guess, uh, yeah. It's, it was discouraging. That can be, yeah, frustrating if you're trying to go have an enjoyable experience and you can't go there. I mean, where do you go? If you can't park on the street in front of it, like, where do you go park? Par- parking, I guess, is sort of the bane of any, like, urban revitalized area. Yeah. And then uh, I guess the last space, which still that that's a, it's another one that hasn't been ruled out, is the it says photographic designs. I guess on the front, it's uh, down down here on Main Street. Yeah, well, yeah, right on Main Street here. Yeah. I seen it. We can almost see it right now. Yeah, so that um, that to me seems like a really enticing option. I mean, have you run into any specific problems that you can speak to around that? Um, I think mainly just the renovation budget aspect of how much it would cost to redo the building. And uh, also, I think it, it was never officially confirmed, but there was some uh, something with like the safety of the building having to be brought up to code. Oh, that's important. Safety's not important. <laughs> it's overrated. Volvo in there. And if there's an emergency, everybody get inside. <laughs> exactly. Get some escape tape. car. Just put some, get some duct tape. A clown car. A clown car Volvo where everybody can fit inside. <laughs> some gorilla tape. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. Let's say that was a building that you, um, let's say you identified what could potentially be a problem and it just took money to fix it. 
which I mean, I guess that could probably fix any safety problem with the building. If it was enough money, I think let's go ahead and say that money can fix literally anything in life. It will make you happy. Yeah. We should go on record as saying <laughs> money will that make money you makes you happy. It's scientifically <laughs> proven. Yeah, I don't think that's true at all. But, but anyway, anywho, um, you can buy a lot of tape with money. You can totally <laughs> buy a lot of tape. Yeah. But let's say that you identified it. And, and you were able to put it into into a formula, you know, like a business plan, so to speak. Like, well, if we had this much money to fix this, and it, you know, it, it started to become real in that sense. What if, and I'm totally, this is a leading question, completely leading you into something I'm hoping you're gonna answer. So that's my preface. What if, yeah, drum roll. What if you were able to design your vision and you were able to present it to people in this community um, on the internet, but in a designed way where it, you got to put your creative energy into what kind of movies you'd have, how you'd lay it out, how it would look, what you'd serve, you know, and, and you were able to have a bunch of people weigh in on it with ideas and kind of build that social capital around it. Do you think that you could create uh, a little bit of a groundswell and then potentially use that to go to sell to investors the idea that they should help you invest in this? Yeah, definitely. I think so that would... stop there. Perfect. Yeah. And thank you. you. <laughs> Neil Dokai says, enjoy a day Remus products. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And our... You walked right into that. <laughs> Wait, our, are you still recording? <laughs> Crap. Our delicious a day Remus biscuits. Yeah, right. Honey <laughs> Remus biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do think um, that that would be the perfect outlet for a project like that. And... I mean, in many ways, that would be the equivalent of like Kickstarter or Indiegogo for for wanting to do a business or a building. Um, and yeah, be real. Wow, I I did not script. I want to go on record. I did not script what he just said in any way. I did lead totally lead him into the answer there. There were cue cards out of frame. Yeah, right, yeah. But they were far away. He couldn't read them. I was holding a knife to his side. <laughs> He's like he he mixed into there. Please help. Like he spelled please help like in between the words he said. Are you listening to it backwards? <laughs> yeah, right. That's genius. Um, cool, man. Well, Anil, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I thought it was miserable. Well, it was actually. It was, a, it was excruciating. I'm no. <laughs> deeply offended by multiple things that you said. <laughs> We're uh, inspired by people like you. Uh, I think that um, the the success of this place, I believe, is about more people uh, recognizing that they are people like you, you know what I mean? Uh, embracing things they want to do, creating things they want to create, um, exploring things they want to explore, and, and, and that that's good, and, and that that is an economy, you know what I mean? So I, I, I don't know. We're, we're, we're happy you joined us on the podcast. We hope that uh, Strange... Tell, tell us the release date of your movie. Uh, Strange and Unusual. Right now we're hoping mid to late August. We don't have a definite date. Um, it's going to be on Amazon Instant, and it's just a lengthy process to get it up there. But hopefully mid to late August. Excellent. Well, we very much look forward to buying a copy. So uh, congratulations on that. And uh, thanks for, for being here. <laughs>